Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hi, everyone. Judge Andrew Napolitano here for Judging Freedom. Today is Friday, March 10, 2023. It's about 1.05 in the afternoon here on the East Coast of the United States. Scott Ritter uh, joins us for his uh, weekly time with all of you. Scott, always a pleasure. Uh, welcome back. Thanks I, for I, I want to start uh, right out uh, with something that Victoria Newland uh, said just the other day, making the uh, or attempting to make the argument that the American forces would be justified in attacking Crimea. Now, before you react, let's listen uh, to what she had to say. There is a drone base in Crimea where the drones that the Iranians have yes, given yeah. Russia are being launched from. There are command and control sites in Crimea that are essential for. Russia's hold on all of the territory, including the land bridge. There are mass military installations on Crimea that Russia has turned into essential logistics and back office depots for this war. Those are legitimate targets. Ukraine is hitting them, and we are supporting that. This is the number two person uh, in the State Department uh, of the United States. It's not Tony Blinken. It's not the secretary, obviously, purporting to justify, as I read it, an American attack on Crimea. Well, it's a proxy American attack. What she's saying is that the United States is providing the support, both in terms of materiel, the weapons and the intelligence, the targeting uh, to uh, to attack. Uh, But she's right. I mean, from a Ukrainian perspective, everything she laid out is a legitimate target. I mean, welcome to war. If Russia thinks that it can uh, wage this conflict with Ukraine and, and not have these targets struck by Ukraine, that's another thing coming. But for the United States to come in and, and literally a lawyer needs to review her words, Judge, uh, because uh, that, what that, she did. That, that's the point. This yeah, is the she, number two or three. I forget how they do the rankings. The number two or three person in the State Department of the United States with a smile from ear to ear uh, justifying the use of American military equipment, which we know means American military personnel against a a part of the world that has been Russia since Catherine the Great reigned over Russia, which was before George III reigned over the American colonies. But it's not just that. She's, I mean, yes, we know the historical link, but she's basically saying straight up, America is a party to this conflict. Literally, she just said, we are a party to the conflict. And thank goodness the Russians aren't us. Because if there was a Russian Victoria Newland, they'd say, well, every American base in Europe is now a target and we are going to attack you. Uh, that's my point. How dangerous is it for her to make a statement like this? Who knows if they ran this past the lawyers? Who knows if Tony Blinken approved it or had a heart attack when, when he heard about it? Whatever you think of him, he's, he's a lot more nuanced uh, than she is. 
I mean, this is reckless uh, to the extreme, is it not? Uh, totally. Look, in the lead up to Desert Storm, there was an Air Force uh, officer who spoke out about the air campaign. Nothing he said was factually wrong, but it, he, he spoke out um, in a way that put the Air Force in a bad light, put the United States in a bad light. He was fired the same day, fired the same day. Dick Cheney, who was Secretary of Defense, picked up the phone, called uh, <laughs> Colin Powell and said, fire him. And they did. Uh, why? Because he doesn't get to make these policy decisions. She should be fired on the spot. Literally, she should be terminated, fired, kicked out. What If what she's saying is American policy, okay, but that's unspoken policy. You can't commit the United States down the path that could lead inevitably to not just conflict, but nuclear conflict. She is dangerous and she should be terminated in terms of her employment. Could it have been a trial balloon? Uh, well, it's the silliest trial balloon I've ever seen because it's a trial balloon that to what end? Um, it doesn't prove anything if Russia does nothing. It just means that Russia, again, once again, demonstrating that they the adult in the room. But then if Russia does something, then you're at war with Russia. I, again, it's a horrible trial balloon. All right. As we, as we speak, uh, it's the, the end of the day in Ukraine. Uh, the sun is setting. What, what is your understanding is the status of um, uh, control and forces in Bakhmut? Uh, the Russians continue to push forward. The Ukrainians continue to reinforce and people keep dying. And uh, at some point in time, um, I believe the Russians are going to uh, capture Bakhmut, whether it's through an encirclement, whether it's through just grinding their way through, they'll capture it. And when that happens, as President Zelensky has accurately said, that will burst the, uh, the Ukrainian defenses. And then we'll have the Russians right now. If you if you look at Bakhmut, yeah, you know, you got a little bit of a, a bubble here from this encirclement, but it's a, basically a line. When it bursts, the Russians are going to be able to come in and take a lot of territory. That just elongated the front lines, the line of contact. Russia has the troops to man that, that area. Ukraine does not, which means that this bubble is going to grow bigger and bigger and bigger. That's why Bakhmut is so important. It is literally the Gordian knot that holds Ukrainian defenses together. And when it falls, you're going to see this ballooning. The, the last time we spoke, actually the last two times we spoke, Scott, uh, you were commenting that the Ukrainians are using uh, ammunition faster than the West can supply it, faster than the West can manufacture it. Is that still the case? Because if it is, <laughs> yeah. sooner or later, it's gonna the, the number is going to go down to zero. No, literally, there's nothing the West can do to change this. Literally nothing. Even if Joe Biden today woke up and said, I'm going to sign you know, the some war powers authority for defense production, we can't get the production lines up and running. We can't get the resources allocated. We can't get things off the production line to stop what is inevitably going to happen. Ukrainians will run out of ammunition sometime this summer. And when that happens, it's all over. What is the uh, status of the three to 500,000 reservists, veterans, uh, conscripts, whatever you want to call them, the people that President Putin called up around September that have been training since then, here we now are in March. Are they on the other side of that line that you talked uh, about, or have they begun their uh, assault uh, into Ukraine? Some are on the line of contact, putting the pressure on the Ukrainians. Because remember, when, when Bakhmut falls, this bubble begins. In order to man that, 
Ukraine's going to have to pull forces away from elsewhere, which thins those line out so you get more bubbles. And you're just going to see this percolation of bubbles along the line, bursting forward, et cetera. That's where the Russian troops are either positioned on the line or somewhere in the rear, ready to move up and exploit these opportunities. Russia has the resources to exploit the, advent, the, 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 the advantageous situation that's going to evolve. Ukraine doesn't have the resources to be able to adequately man this expanding line of contact. What is the uh, current situation with the uh, Wagner Group? So mainstream media is saying two things. Uh, the, the head of Wagner and Putin are not getting along, and the Wagner troops are not getting along with their superiors. So first, give us a little bit of a picture of, of Wagner. Uh, our sure. friend, in quotes, Jack uh, Devine, calls it a paramilitary group. Uh, I think you're going to argue it's more seriously military than paramilitary, but tell us about it. Who runs it? What's the chain of command? And is there this uh, political tension? Wagner was created in 2014 when this initial Ukrainian civil war happened between... When when Victoria Nuland herself fomented the the coup that threw out the popularly uh, elected uh, pro-Russian, but popularly elected president of Ukraine. Viktor Yanukovych, that's right. He fled, uh, and the ethnic Russians were declared to be terrorists by this new neo-Nazi affiliate government. Conflict happened. Russia is prohibited by its constitution to deploy its troops outside of the Russian borders without a declaration of war or something, some authority given by the, 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 the Russian parliament. So Wagner was created to be a vehicle through which Russia could provide military assistance. Wagner was a private military company so any military forces sent to Wagner aren't military. They're private. Uh, it was created with a unique funding structure. Uh, Mr. Prigozhin was put in charge of this, and uh, Wagner served its, its role very well. Even when the special military operation started, the Lugansk and Donetsk republics were independent, not Russia. So Wagner continued in this privileged mode, but now attacking in a more concerted fashion. Uh, they became a very valuable assault resource and they had a high priority in terms of the provision of assistance. But when Lugansk and Donetsk became Russian territories after the annexation, after the um, after the referendums, um, Wagner can't exist as a private military corporation anymore legally. So Wagner became a volunteer military unit. And now it is directly res- reporting to the general staff, and it's part of an expanding Russian force that went from 200,000 to 700,000, which means resources are going to be thinned out. So now Wagner stopped being the only show in town with a priority of resource, uh, and and they now become one of many, still a priority, but not getting what it wanted. And so there is some tension there going on. Now, here's my problem with what's going on in the media. I don't know if you remember a while back, there was a video of a uh, defector from Wagner, and uh, they showed him with his head taped to a concrete block, and he confessed his sins, and then a sledgehammer hit him in the head, and you know, because that's the Wagner symbol, the sledgehammer, um, and everybody said, this is how Wagner deals with traitors and all this stuff, and everybody said, oh my God, what a horrible organization. Well, then Prigozhin came out afterwards and brought the guy out and said, no, we set this whole thing up. This was all a, 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 an intelligence ploy for him to get in close, et cetera. Prigozhin's not a stupid man. Prigozhin knows that he owes everything to Vladimir Putin, literally everything. And then Vladimir Putin, Shoigu, Gerasimov could pull the plug on Prigozhin. 
like that. Prigozhin would disappear. He knows this. So right, I believe Barrett, what we're does, seeing here is a lot of Wagner, propaganda. Does Wagner have a chain of command in the traditional sense, uh, which ultimately reports to someone in the Russian military? Oh, absolutely. Wagner is a military unit, a volunteer unit that has a reporting channel uh, through the various staffs to the general staff. Prigozhin is a civilian who handles the management of this volunteer unit in a way that, you know, a lot of people don't understand. There's a lot of units called bars. They're, they're volunteer units. They're, they're, their management is done by the various civilian directors of the regions they come from. So if you're from the Kuban Cossacks, you have a Prigozhin type character back there also helping out. So it's not unique. I just can't believe that Prigozhin is going to sit here and do what he's doing if it weren't some sort of intelligence game to make people think there's problems with Wagner. Meanwhile, what's happening every day? Wagner's stacking the bodies. Wagner's taking the villages. Wagner's killing people. Wagner's advancing. So here on the media, it's playing out that Wagner's falling apart. There's dissension on the battlefield. Wagner's doing its job. So I have to believe that this is sort of a game that Prigozhin's playing for intelligence purposes. All right. So while you're on this role, we have to run this clip of Jack Devine. Uh, it, it's not directly on point, but towards the end of it, he mocks Wagner. Mm-hmm. Take a Nobody look. knows Afghanistan the way you do, Jack, but that was the death throes of the Soviet Union. That was not Putin with a modern army. Well, first of all, I dispute he has a modern army. He's now demonstrating the world he doesn't have a modern army. He has a lot of modern weapons. Well, but well he has there. a more modern army now than Gorbachev had in the Afghan days. Yeah, but look at what Afghanis had, AK-47s. Look at what technology has done for the Ukrainians and all the sophisticated technology from drones to cyber intelligence, his army is not showing itself very well. It's a surprise to all of us, although this is the second time I've been surprised. Because when I went in to do the Afghan program, I was assured they were 10 feet tall. And then every day they shrunk a quarter of an inch. So I think what's showing here, and I think it's the big story, he has paramilitary functioning as his cutting edge because his own army, now they're fighting. Remember, Judge, you and I talked about dissent and how the things crumble when you start to lose. Watch the dynamic between the Wagner group and the military. Does our dear uh, friend who refers to himself as the spy master from his days uh, in uh, the CIA know what the hell he's talking about? No, um, he doesn't. Um, The Russian military is a very modern military with extraordinarily uh, high levels of proficiency proven on the battlefield. You know, you take away people, you take away the propaganda. And I, and I will tell you, if you take a, a U.S. Army officer who's professional, forget the propaganda stuff, and he watches how the Russians are fighting, he's going to appreciate the professionalism of the Russian soldiers, the Russian advance, the Russian utilization of artillery, et cetera. He may say it's not as precise as us, but he'll also say they have a heck of a lot more of it. Um, right. Is this is this a CIA uh, MI six line that they want to preach to the American media uh, that the Russian army uh, is not modern, is not sophisticated, uh, is is rife with dissension, and is doomed to lose? Because we've heard this from Jack before. No, he said, "Look, with all due respect to Jack Devine, I'd love to debate him someday about Afghanistan. Um, uh, contrary to what he believes, the Russian military wasn't defeated." They didn't leave Afghanistan with their tail between the legs like we did. 
They left Afghanistan because of a political decision made by Mikhail Gorbachev, who's over part of Novar policy called Perestroika and Glasnost. And they said, we're just not going to waste resources in Afghanistan. We're leaving. When they left, they left in good order. Their general was large and in charge. Uh, their military was not a defeated military. It wasn't the highest morale in the world. Nobody likes to leave, but they weren't defeated. In fact, Jack, I'll remind you what the reality was on the ground in 1988 uh, for your CIA programs. You were getting beat. The Russians had adapted. The Spetsnaz were hunting down your boys and killing them like flies. The only fighter you had of any viability was uh, Ahmed Massoud in, in the Panjir Valley, and even him was pinned in there. So, Jack, the CIA wasn't as good as you think they are, and you're out there blowing smoke up people's you-know-what right now. And the Russians are pretty darn good. They're not perfect. I agree with Jack. I don't want them to be 10 foot tall, but they are about six foot two. And that's pretty which big. Is the, which is the better uh, fighting force, regular uh, Russian army or Wagner group? The regular Russian army. The regular Russian army has all the fire support, has all the support. Wagner is a, a purpose-built unit right now doing a very difficult job of urban warfare. But it can't do what it's doing without Russian artillery support, Russian air power, Russian electronic warfare, Russian aircraft, with Russian paratroopers, and Russian mechanized infantry on their flanks protecting them. Wagner is, you know, they're very good at what they do, but they are not a combined arms combat force. Is President Putin uh, still under uh, some political pressure from his right uh, to wage a more vigorous uh, and quickly ending war? Uh, is his uh, political stability in office uh, as sound as it was six months ago or a year ago? It's stronger than it's ever been. When you say under political pressure, look, the amazing thing about Russia being a nation of war is the amount of free speech that actually takes place in their in their airwaves. Uh, they have people out there that are critical of the president, critical of the military. They're out there and they're not being shut down. If this was the dictatorship that everybody talks about, the plug would be pulled on all these channels. They're out there able to talk. They can't go out and demonstrate and actively, uh, you know, advance something that's negative to the troops. But they can. There is dissension. There's talk. But that's the element of a free society. Which newsflash to people: Russia is a freer society than, say, Ukraine or other places. And but Putin's not under pressure. He doesn't feel any of this political pressure. He listens, as any leader would. But he has a strategic vision, as do his. His leadership is leadership, and they're moving along with that plan, and they're not going to be pushed out of the way by public opinion. You uh, say that uh, Russia is a freer society uh, than uh, Ukraine. Was there not recently an incident in which an NBC News journalist was targeted for assassination by Ukrainian forces? Yes, uh, the, uh, the, the NBC News journalist went to Crimea to do journalism where he actually spoke to people on the ground. And as a result, because he was trying to tell the truth, provide a broader perspective, the Ukrainian intelligence services put him on what's called the Miratvoritz list. It's a kill list where people actually are targeted for assassination. Daria Dugina, a Russian journalist, the daughter of um, Mr. Dugin, who's a big philosopher, nationalist. You don't have to agree with him, but his daughter didn't deserve to die. She was killed, liquidated. I'm on that list. I've been on that list since uh, June of, uh, of, of last summer. Um, you know, the bottom line is if you say anything that is uh, deemed by the Ukrainian government not to be supportive of the narrative they're putting out, not that it's factually wrong. Everything the Ukrainians have accused me of saying, 
is all factually correct. They just don't like the fact that I'm saying it because I'm by saying it, I'm apparently promoting a pro-Russian narrative as if Sorry, Todd, I gotta stop here. Or any or any of your friends like the one speaking to you now on the list. <laughs> Many are. <laughs> and, and, and Judge, I think I think there's a spot down there for your name on it too. Um, unfortunately, uh, I, better, I better tell the New Jersey State Police that uh, some of uh, you know we shouldn't we shouldn't make light of this. What became of the oh. journalist? What became of this fellow? This is a well, British. This is a British journalist, yep. a British citizen, a full-time employee uh, of NBC News. Uh, writes articles based on his observations that the Ukrainian intelligence don't like. They publicly put him on the list. What became of him? Well, he's still employed by NBC. But here's the big question: Where is NBC? Why isn't this the top story on NBC saying, get our guy off the list or we're pulling out? We're not going to be there. Where's the state department which is supposed to protect the the health and safety or at least the safety of Americans in foreign countries, particularly countries with which we are allied, particularly countries that are vassal states of the United States? Yeah. the uh, Look, the State Department actually funds the uh, what's called the Center for Countering Disinformation, which puts out a blacklist. I'm number one on the blacklist, by the way. I'm the number one anti-Ukrainian narrative producing person in the world. They have targeted me to be eliminated, silenced, removed. Um, and it's funded by the State Department. Congress knows about this and yet continues to vote money to pay the salaries of the people who are trying to silence me for carrying out my First Amendment right of free speech. Last, Fri- last Friday, a week ago today, uh, German Chancellor Scholz visited the White House with the usual fanfare that uh, accompanies uh, a head of state meeting with the president. And then suddenly he and President Biden went off alone uh, in the Oval Office. No translators. Uh, the chancellor speaks uh, English and apparently no aides there. We, we can guess what they spoke because suddenly there appeared on the front page, top of the fold, left-hand column, Uh, of the New York Times on Monday morning. Oh, the CIA, it's hard for me to say this with a straight face, Scott, found a sailboat. Sailboat. A sailboat that (laughs) was in the Baltic Sea about the same time that the Nord Stream pipeline was blown up, and they're investigating who on the sailboat might have been involved with blowing up the pipeline. My guess, uh, the chancellor said, Joe, you're killing me. You blew this up without telling us. I'm going to be thrown out of office if you don't come up with some kind of an explanation to counter this guy, Cy Hirsch, because most of my people believe Cy. No, this is the timing of this is unreal. I mean, I can't even believe the New York Times ran this story because it falls apart right off the bat. We know that the Swedes have collected explosive traces from the, the from the, 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 the crime scene. They've acknowledged it and they've, they've evaluated and they determined that it's man-made, et cetera. Uh, we know that based on the damage done to the pipe, we can reverse engineer the shape charge that was put on it. The Swedes probably recovered a, an unexploded shape charge. Because remember, there's four pipelines, only three blew up. There's one that wasn't blown up. So we can assess that they recovered, which means they have the detonators. They, they know what's going on. So now they come out with a story and they're dumb enough to say, we found explosive traces. And the forensic guy in front of me says, please take a swab put it in a lab, give me the results, and I'll go to Sweden, and I want to compare and contrast. And everybody's going to say, well, you can't do that. Why? Because it's all a lie. This is a, but it's such a bad lie. 
And at the end of the story, everybody says, well, you know, this could have been a false flag or this could be a fake story anyways, because it's, it is going to be exposed. I, already it's exposed as a fake story. You can't do the level of operation required to take out three pipelines, put a fourth explosive down on a sailboat with a crew of six. <laughs> can't do it. <laughs> our, our, our friend Larry Johnson couldn't stop laughing, likening this to uh, the minnow. That was the that was that was the boat on Killigan's Island. I mean, that's almost almost uh, the ludicrous uh, point. Is there any way that the pipeline could have been blown up, blown up, uh, and a a, a a project of this magnitude by non-government actors? No, this is a first of all the the, the sophistication of the explosive charge alone. Um, it's a it's a massive breaching charge. It has to be purpose designed to fulfill not only the task of blowing through hardened steel encased with concrete, uh, but it also has to be able to do that underwater with a remote detonation. Uh, that wow. level of sophistication is beyond anything a private sector could do. Joseph R. Biden, uh, the first president in the modern era, maybe the first president in our history uh, to attack an ally, that's a war crime, is it not? It's a war crime. It's a violation of the Constitution, the way he did it, avoiding uh, mandated requirements. Uh, he's a terrorist. He's a war criminal. Um, and he shouldn't have the honor or privilege of serving the American people in any capacity at any time. Scott Ritter, at your best. Thank you very much for joining us, my dear friend. Have a great weekend. We'll see you next week. Thank you very much. Have a good weekend. Thank you. More as we get it. Wow. Judge Napolitano for Judging Freedom.